let's descend the podcast into a bit of chaos. More chaos. More chaos. That electric moment when a ball hits the back of the net. Unbelievable game. Two great teams going at it. Compared to the other three beside him, he just looks like the new cafe or something. We are making a documentary about how shit our club is. <laughs> VR is bullshit. Who is the biggest cheater in football tonight? Harry Kane, without a fucking doubt. Without a fucking doubt. Hello and welcome back to the Football Babble. Good evening, friends. Um, it, it's just me and Steve at the minute. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Phil. Uh, Brenton is due to come on, but he's having a few technical issues. Um, we don't think it's related to Instagram, WhatsApp and Facebook being down. But maybe it was Brenton that brought the whole thing down. He's been caught. So, you know, that'll be on real. That'll be good publicity for the Babble, I think. <laughs> Brenton is the source <laughs> of the outage. Yeah, he was the technical mastermind uh, behind all this. Um, Paddy and Jonathan are available this evening. Uh, they will be back, though, next week. We're going to move maybe nights to what, what night we do this, so we're going to accommodate for everyone and get everyone back on the show. But it's just me and you so far, Steve, to start off before Brenton can join us. Maybe Brenton's planned this because me and you had our first uh, tiff last week, Stephen, maybe. Maybe that's uh, what he's done. Yeah, here. maybe he's doing it on purpose. Yeah, I think he's yeah, maybe he's doing it on purpose. We're going to look at... Um, Obviously, the game yesterday, Liverpool against Man City. Chelsea have won again. Uh, now they go top of the league. Manchester United were a bit r- ruffled by Rafa Benitez, and, and I, I think the core possibly in midfield who's outstanding for Everton. As I just fixed my mic there, folks. Um, on Saturday, Brentford are flying, and Watford have sacked another manager. So there's there's loads to get into, and it's just me and you, Steve. We've got a lot to cover in tonight's uh, podcast and one evening. Before we get into it. Where do you do you want do you want to start with Manchester United first and then because I know Brenton wants to talk about the City game too maybe give him a chance do you want to talk about Manchester United and Everton and I think you have an interesting point on this Manchester United that you want to get off your chest yeah well I I sent this into the WhatsApp group after the the Champions League game last week um and it's the idea that. Manchester United have a Ronaldo problem and it's not the problem that maybe people think they have because we've discussed it before but it's this idea that he ultimately makes them a worse overall team and yet is so individually talented he ends up doing what he did against Villarreal and scoring the late winner but that's a game that you know it shouldn't be winning 2-1 it's a game they should probably be winning 3 or 4-1 with the number of chances they're creating but he is such a hog of the football and such, uh, he slows everything down as well. And it's just one of those situations where, like, he's he's obviously a really, really good footballer and he will get goals. But I think, as we saw against Everton in the second half, United's pace really slowed down when he came on. And their, the quality yeah. of chances they created worsened as well. So I think they are a worse football team with him playing, which is a mad thing to say considering how many winners and goals he's got this season. It uh, Brenton has joined, by the way, folks. That's what you can hear in the background. Brenton is here. Hello, Brenton. Good evening. How are we? A few technical uh, issues. Right. It's uh, it's all the rage these days. Yeah, it is all the rage. Um, 
<laughs> Thanks for joining, Brendan. As we we started off with the Manchester United, it's it is really interesting, Steve, that you that you make that point because a lot of the media around it would just be like, how amazing he's been since coming and the goals he scored and and you know and 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 there isn't really nobody has really re well I haven't seen anyway really raised this point that actually is there a is there a hindrance there are they too reliable I th- I think I think Benucci said during the week. That he felt that the team, because of Steve Ronaldo's individual brilliance, they found themselves just relying on too much to pull them out of holes, and then that's obviously where they came up short a few times. I'm yeah, gonna ask yeah. you something here, I, 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 and 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 obviously anyone that listens will will know you do nothing but honest opinions, so there'll be no yeah. no nonsense here. Was did Ronaldo move to the Royal Manchester club? No, because I think he would have caused the same issues at the other Manchester club as well. I think part of it is he has fundamentally changed as a footballer. I think I saw the statistic on um, maybe the Athletic that like his number of dribbles has like basically stopped. Um, he's only dribbled once in the Premier League so far. Mo Salah's dribbled 11 times. Like, if you close your eyes and think of a young Cristiano Ronaldo, it's a knocking the ball by players and are dribbling at players, attacking players. And that's just not what he is anymore. And I think that's part of the reason why City actually maybe escaped, like maybe got lucky that he ended up signing with, with, with United rather than them. And I think the other issue is he really struggles to connect um, with other forwards. He's very, very good at passing to midfield, but he's not very, very, he's not good at all at finding other forwards. I think in terms of his passing to other players, I'm just looking at the statistics now. So it's Pogba, Shaw, Fernandez, Matic, McTominay, and then Greenwood. Like he passed, he's more involved with the midfield and defenders. There's a defender there. He has more passes with a defender than he has other forwards and that's both passes received and, and passes given so I think what you're seeing is that like he's hogging the ball he's not beating players he's not passing it forward so ultimately if United are and this is where it ultimately comes down to United are allegedly a high tempo pressing team and no forward in the Premier League has pressed less than Ronaldo it's like watching all of the PSG attacking players merged into one you know all that talent and no desire to press whatsoever and ultimately just it's one of those things that it's it's subtraction by addition for United um, and anyone who who, who, who kind of has watched United this season with the exception of the Leeds game I feel like United have played exactly the same way in every single game since yes. and some of them they've come out on top in and some of them they've lost and some of them they've drawn but the performance has not veered wildly above or below second gear. And Ronaldo is that person who's holding them back. He's the handbrake on, on what I think could be a really, really good attacking outfit. But he's just, he's costing them at the moment. And as much as he, like, obviously he scored the winner in midweek. And, and I sent that text into the group after, after like, they had won and he had scored saying, I just felt like, they would be winning more comfortably. They would be playing more with more fluidity if he wasn't there. And, you know, that's outside of all the distractions of the other things that come with Ronaldo. But 
I just from a purely footballing point of view, all my worst fears about when he signed with the club, they're they're there in the open and there's enough of a sample size now to say it's not just uh it's not something that well, it probably is something that could be coached out of him if you had a decent coach, but I mean that goes back to the fundamental problem that there's no coaching going on. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so weird because it, it I don't know if you've already covered this, but um when when it's so funny because when the problems are caused uh, that are being caused by the presence of Ronaldo, when they're solved, they're solved by Ronaldo scoring a goal. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it, it is so catch twenty two. Um, I don't even know if that's the correct phrase to use here, but um, it, it's like, would the problems be there in the first place if he wasn't on the pitch, or you know, what would if they had a saddle system with? Cavani through the middle, or more likely Greenwood through the middle, if we're talking long term, would they be able to develop more as a an attacking unit and score a lot more goals? But because Ronaldo's there, these problems are being caused, and because he's so good at scoring goals, which is what he's become all about now, um, you know, it's it's kind of papering over the cracks a little bit. And I know that people maybe say, well, you know, the problems were still there on Saturday against Everton. Like United, I think, had, I didn't see the game, but it's 70-odd percent possession maybe. Um, and they weren't scoring goals. So obviously they were going to bring Ronaldo on. And he did have a good chance, I saw. I don't know if he did much else. Um, but he got into that position to score goals. So... <laughs> I don't really know what the answer is. I would have liked to have seen, and there probably isn't that many United fans who are going to agree with me. I would have liked to have seen what they would have been like with without Ronaldo this season, and and if they hadn't made that signing, would they have been in a better position right now? And we'll never know, obviously, but would they have been in a better position come the end of the season? Is it just a you know, if they were really thinking long term, uh, the development of the team and the where the you know where they want to finish, was it just too good of an opportunity to pass by with Ronaldo, or did they just not want City to get him? Um, we'll never know all of this, of course, but um, it's just it's something that may hang over them this season, and it may you know in the end cost Solskjaer's job because. He's probably out of a lot of holes, Ronaldo, it seems, but not all of them. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right, and it's very hard to disagree with any of that. Like, but what I would say is that United were looking comfortable. Um, the goal came at a really good time because Everton found a foothold in the game, but Everton needed to score first in that game. I felt that was the way they were set up. They were set up to score first and then kind of. Defend and they played very differently in the second half because they could, because they knew that there was going to be a lot less pressure on them when they had the ball in defence in the second half once Ronaldo and Sancho came on than there was in the first half when United were playing basically a 4 2 4. And yeah, they weren't, they weren't necessarily scoring, but it felt like it was going to be weight of possession, weight of attempts on target, weight of just attempts in general. 
would eventually see United get in a second. And you can see the thought process behind bringing on Ronaldo, like whatever it was, with 15 or 20 minutes to go. It's or 25, maybe it was 25 minutes to go. The, the idea was, okay, these are here for the taking. We're going to bring on Ronaldo now, and he's going to get his goal that he tends to get in these situations or whatever. And I just thought that it just suddenly everyone started playing with a, a sense, oh, we need to get the ball to Ronaldo. Yeah. Whereas before that, it wasn't. It was letting players do their thing. And I think the the player who's going to suffer the most through all this is is Mason Greenwood. And like he, it's no coincidence he had three goals in his first three games of the season, and he hasn't scored since. Like I mean, what's what what has changed since then? You know, and the focus has gone on Ronaldo in attack. And I think it's such a shame because I'm convinced that Greenwood is the best English-born natural finisher of a football in the Premier League. I think there's other players who are maybe as talented or more talented as finishers there, but in terms of players who would play for England, I think he he is up there, left foot, right foot. I, he, there's a just a there's a hint of Rude Manis right off him when he's in the box. I, I think like, I think he's the best natural finisher since Robbie Fowler, English yeah, natural finisher since Robbie Fowler. Yeah, I think he just looks like if if you look at and sometimes I do not on a mad regular basis but would look back at like old Liverpool videos or whatever and you just look at at Fowler when he was I mean when he burst onto the scene Fowler and he, he got like thirty goals one season he was absolutely unbelievable that Greenwood just shows even Greenwood shows even more like he's quicker. Do you yep. know which is even more lethal Greenwood shows that I think I think you're bang on there. Both of you are spot on uh, about it, I think you're bang on about Greenwood and potentially being held up um, by possibly Ronaldo's presence. Yeah, and, and look, the thing. Do you think Greenwood is, is a? What? Sorry, I was just going to say, do you think Greenwood's a better finisher than Harry Kane? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like, we, we, yeah. Like, and it's not just as you know, you know how critical I can be of United. Like that is not just as a fan; it is purely as a like if. If you were to give me any situation where a footballer had to save my life inside the yard box by scoring a goal, I would pick Mason Greenwood. I honestly would. Like I think he's that good. But I think just going back to the just to the point, and, and, and we'll move on from United because they're not worth spending that much time on. Unfortunately, it's like what happens is Greenwood drifts out to the right as soon as Ronaldo comes on, and he's so much better through the middle. He's so much better through the middle, and like ultimately United finished on Saturday. With Bruno Fernandez playing centre forward, and like I don't care what your tactics are, I don't care how high how high you are, how how attacking you want to be. Bruno Fernandez is not a centre forward, and has no business finishing a game as a centre forward. And it, it, it just Everton should have won that game because, like, I mean, the goal that was disallowed, it, he was offside, but he shouldn't have been passed the ball in the first place. That should have been finished before the, the pass came in from Davies. Um, yeah. And it should have been two one. And I think everyone, that was pure he, shit house from Davies. Yeah, it was he shouldn't took yeah. off. I don't care if he's only brought on off. If you're not going to shoot from there, off yeah. you get. Um, and the and the first Everton goal, like I mean, twice Fred has a chance to win the session, and twice <laughs> he's really weak in the challenge. I was like, 
what is the point of Fred? It's not to be strong in the tackle. Like, I don't understand yeah. the point of him as a footballer. Like, Manchester United have single-handedly ruined my perception of Brazilian footballers. Um, because of the way they have deployed their Brazilian footballers over the years. So fair play to them for that as a club. They have, like, I grew up worshipping Brazilian footballers. Like, you couldn't get the yellow Brazil jersey off me. And now I hate Brazilian footballers. Absolutely hate them with a passion. And it's all because of Manchester United. Can I just say as well, I, I thought the core was absolutely unbelievable on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. Yeah. forever, and I think he, like he is. They have uh, such all the talk all the whole time is about the two lads, and they, obviously they were missing Calvert Lewin and Carson. But I think he's their most important player. He was ridiculous again. Every time I've watched him and I've watched Everton say live, he's always stood out for me. He's always done something in the game, and like I know. <laughs> Fred obviously gets boofed over the sideline by Damari Gray, but it's the way the core skips past two and then lays it off for Andros Trent. He was just brilliant. I thought, I thought you're right. I thought, I thought for the first twenty twenty five minutes, especially, I think Brenton, you touched on it in the WhatsApp group. Manchester United started really, really well and looked mm-hmm. like Everton were going to try and sit in the whole, the whole game. This wasn't going to work. This looked like Everton were going to get ship a few in here. And then Decore just took over the game, and they grew into it and grew into it and grew into it. So, and then obviously you know you get the goal through Martial, but it, yeah, it was. It, it is. It, it we we talk. Everybody talks about Man United. All the po- everybody's podcast, every Five Live, whatever. All talk about Man United. I've have Sky Sports News on the background here. Gary Neville's on talking about Man United and what's been going on and different things. So it, it is. You have to keep going back to it, but it just seems to be like they just. Even though they're only two points off top of the table, the the feel like they've um, they've been stuck, Brenton, in like quicksand or something after the Leeds game. It's like the real stuttery. Yeah, well, well I quickly on the core. Um, I think a lot of it has it, the potential was always there, but. Ever since Alan's been back, he's had freedom. And I heard somebody making that point. I can't remember, unfortunately, who it was, but it makes so much sense. Alan obviously is more of a sitter. That's what he does. Um, and Decore has, is good at that job as well. But we've seen this season him just doing exactly what he did against United, breaking from that midfield. Um, and, you know, playing killer passes. I think he scored twice already this season as well. Um, so, I think we're going to see a whole lot more from that, and and what a an attribute that is for Everton to have. Um, but United, yeah, and and I think I mentioned it on the pod last week about the opposition as well. Um, you know, Leeds, then Southampton, who haven't won a game this season, Wolves, who had a terrible start, um, Newcastle, we all know about them, uh, beat by Young Boys, um, the beat West Ham. Um, nearly in the last minute um, and then West Ham beat them in the, in the cup and then Aston Villa beat them last week and now a draw with Everton that, that is not a particularly difficult start to the season on paper um, that Everton game yes they're in form that was probably the first of a run of games that you know we're going to see um, kind of how this is going to fur out over the season for United Um I'd be really interested to see what Tozar does in those games. Um, 
Leicester, Atalanta, Liverpool and Tottenham is the next four. And then Atalanta again and then Man City. So, um, you know, uh, we've seen in the previous few seasons that Ole can get somehow can get these teams up for the big games. Um, it's maybe not as difficult a job when you're playing, you know, Liverpool and Man City um, for United players, but they always seem to come out with some sort of results, um, especially if they're going in bad form. So really interested to see what he does in those games, what he does with Ronaldo in those games, because, you know, you're he's going to be up against better defenders. That's the long and short of it. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if he gets kept quiet, if he, if he starts. Um, on what way Solskjaer uses them. So, um, yeah, it all looked rosy after that first first game against Leeds. But um, really and truly, they've they've kind of struggled the last few games. Um, to I would say to create chances that they would have been used to creating last year. Mm. I would say that's that's the main difference from what I've seen from United. Um, and it's not a it's not a great uh, brand of football to watch, I would also say, as well. Um, I think that's, from from speaking to United fans, that's the, the main difference that they see um, from last season to this, is that it's a, it's a real you know, mixed bag. You, you never know the style of play. You never know what you're going to get. A lot of the time, it's, um, it's boring. Um, yeah, I think part of that though, Brendan, is because it's the teams they played. You mentioned that, like on paper, it wasn't a difficult start. Like the teams hmm. they played finished ninth, fifteenth, thirteenth, twelfth, sixth, eleventh, and tenth last season. That is yeah. United's kryptonite playing mid-table teams. Whereas yeah. um, you know we we talked about this, I think a couple of weeks ago, and you, I, I think maybe some people thought it was a bit and it was a joke on my part that like I was more worried about Everton um, and Aston Villa than I was about Man City and Liverpool. But that's the United <laughs> experience under Solskjaer is that I fully expect them to play Liverpool at Old Trafford and beat them. I fully expect them to play Manchester City at Old Trafford and beat them because that's what he does. It's these games. It's West Ham. It's Aston Villa. It's Everton. That's where he's consistently struggled. And it's such a, a paradox because, and but it's also what's kept him in the job so long. Yes. He keeps getting he keeps getting enough results against the bigger teams to keep them in the top the top four to qualify for them qualify them for Europe. People are saying like he needs to win a trophy this year, and like I don't know. I think with the way Man City have kind of come back to the pack, with the way Liverpool are are not at their hundred point best, like. Manchester, this Manchester United team, and I hate to go back to the past, but this Manchester United team with this quality of players under Alex Ferguson would be there or thereabouts on the last day of the season. And the fact that right now United's fans are hopes are, Jesus, we should get top four. That doesn't say a lot about about where they're going. But if he keeps getting top four and keeps qualifying for them for Europe, the board are going to be happy, and the board are going to keep giving them new contracts and. That's the disappointing thing. Their ceiling, their floor is higher than it has been under the likes of, of Moyes and Van Hal. But the ceiling hasn't changed. And that's the issue, I think, from a Manchester United. That's the frustrating part. Like, ultimately, it's what got Arsene Wenger sacked, you know, consistently getting his team to the top four, but not, never really being, looking like they were going to win a title. Solskjaer probably, probably get like five, six years 
of top four finishes without ever ever threatening for the title, and that's just it's just depressing. <laughs> that, that's a really interesting comparison, actually. I wonder, you know, would would Jetty be able to shed any light on on when this started to happen to Arsenal? Because that it's you know you can see a lot of similarities. Yeah, it just it. We, People like I think United under Van Hal and United under Moyes felt like Liverpool in their kind of wasted years where they were like they might have a couple of months where they'd edge towards the the top of the table but ultimately it'd fall back to kind of fifth, sixth or whatever. But United under Southgate, do feel like eighth, yeah. United under Southgate feel like Wenger his last kind of five or six years with Arsenal. But whereas that was the end of a successful tenure tenure for, for Wenger. This is supposed to be the the man who's supposed to lead United into the promised land again. And I just I just don't see it. Like this like yeah he's he's raised our expectations but I don't know a single United fan who after you know the first couple of weeks of the season was thinking, oh they've they've got a chance of the title here. I really don't know a single one, you know? And that like we're not even we're barely in October and there's there's me as a Manchester United fan conceding the title race. Like that's just you're, not good you're only two points off top. Yeah, but having had as easy a start to a season as yeah. you could. And that's the problem. Um like I not keeping clean sheets at home is the problem. The United's away form has been so good in the Solskjaer and that should be remarked and that should be recognised. But why can't he get the same performance there with him at Old Trafford? I just don't understand it. Uh, well, this will run and run, I'm sure, all season. If Solskjaer gets the whole season, um, this will, this no doubt will come back to this. And as you say, he has it in him to to win the big games. Hasn't been Liverpool in the league yet. That was an FA Cup, doesn't really count. But he's beat Man City a couple of times. Um uh, and so he has it in him to do, or his teams seem to have it in them to do something when they face so-called bigger opponents. You need to be careful, obviously, what you say, because people can get throw their heads up and whatever. Um, we'll move on, Steve, because I know you're dying to move on and talk about Manchester United. Yesterday, uh, Solid Pro play Man City at Anfield. Um, good game. <laughs> Hard to watch for 35 minutes of it. If you're a Liverpool fan in that first half, that was traumatising to say the least. I was just traumatised for James Milner, God love him, to be honest. It wasn't more than anything else. Um, what did you make of yesterday's game, Brenton, as Chelsea are obviously top of the league going into this international break. The two the teams chasing them. Well, that everyone thinks will will be involved with them for the title race, Liverpool Man City playing yesterday. What did you make of yesterday's game? Um... I, th- I thought I'm tempted to say it's the best game I've seen all season. It's the best second half I've seen all season. Um, yeah. I think it was both both of the the heavyweights, um, the clear heavyweights. I think um, after that game, I um, I I think I have more of an idea of where Chelsea stand, and I think that's very much the third horse in the race. Um, because those two teams are definitely still the two best teams in the league um, when they're both at it. It was, <laughs> I mean, it, it worked out great for Chelsea because they finished the draw and they stayed top of the top of the league. Um, but it was it was full of 
really great football. It was full of. I, I loved listening to both managers after the game, um, mostly Klopp, uh, just talking about um, what happened in the first half and how how they. Um, well, basically, they didn't change it. He said that he, he told them to go out and do in the first half what what they ended up doing in the second half. Um, you know, to be able to play that extra pass, um, to to get up the pitch, which you know you would think is a standard thing for for a club Liverpool side, but um, in the first half they uh, they were like. I don't know, they were like Chelsea against Man City sitting in with a low block. There was a couple of screenshots I saw and you wouldn't think it's Liverpool team, um, you know, sitting so deep. And then when they did get possession of the ball, they, they had nowhere to go. Um, there was nobody up the pitch. Um, and they were probably quite fortunate um, to go in at halftime, um, nil-nil. Um, but then in the second half, the, the game completely changed. Um Liverpool were were much higher up the pitch. Um and they basically went toe to toe and it was it was so so good to watch. It was it was proper football. Um Salah was out of this world. Um he I, I think he's the best player in the world at the minute. I think I would confidently say that. Um on form, um on you know just his ability to um, make things happen. I thought, um, obviously, man, I proved myself wrong again by scoring. <laughs> um, I should never have opened my mouth. Um, but yeah, there was there was a lot of good. Uh, and then you know, I don't. I, I know we don't like giving City credit on this pod, but um, they more than contributed to the game as well. Um, for Bernardo Silva. Uh, just made a couple of unbelievable runs. Messi-esque, I would nearly say. The, the one in particular that he set um, was a greatest or Jesus up from? Um, Foden. Was a Foden. Missed, it was yeah, good to see it Yeah, missed from close range. Um, I think that's what Paddy said. Allison, you know, made a couple of very good saves that he probably didn't get credit for because there was so much emphasis on the attacking. Um, yeah. But, you know, him and, and and Foden was it's probably the best game I've seen him have, to be fair. Um although the, the, there is a big caveat there is that he was up against Milner and it looked like a mismatch on paper from the word go and Milner really, really should have been sent off. <laughs> um I, I do not know how he got away with that, but um yeah, Foden Foden gave him a, a horrific time out there. Um but mm. I would probably say a draw was was a fair result in the end, but such good football for the neutral to watch. Steve, last week we had our first uh, brothers tiff when you tried to troll me clearly on the podcast, and you were pointing out that you thought this Liverpool team, you know, weren't at it as much as they have been. And I was trying to think then all week. I was like, right, you know what? I have red tinted glasses on. I'll take them off. I'll see what he means here because I know you. You're like you're a coach. You're a head coach in American football, but you're a coach. You will look at things in a certain ways. So I was like, he's obviously this fucking beardy bastard has obviously spotted something that I haven't looked at yet because I'm too biased. So 
The Porto game was the bad one to try and pick because obviously Porto were down a couple of players. Liverpool got it very easy there. It didn't work. So I was like, right, I what what is and the keeper the was game? obviously getting paid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the keeper is looking uh, to take Adrian's place as number three next year in Anfield. Um, so I was like, right, what is what is it? And what I thought from yesterday was now you won't agree with one of my points here. The midfield was Liverpool's midfield was paper thin. Yes, uh, I think Finn Te- and Teddy and Miles could have bust through at times. <laughs> it was worryingly thin. That hasn't looked like that when Thiago's been in beside Fabinho. There's been a bit of a difference. I think Jones is still finding his feet, still a young footballer. Some of his positioning he was taking up was really strange. I pointed out, I think, in the group, Henderson was playing as like a number 10, pushing forward, leaving Milner completely on his own against Phil Foden, which and Foden to turn on into Maradona for a half a game was just no need for that at all. But thanks to you and Jonathan for spending all summer slagging him, this is what happened. And that's what I was looking at yesterday was the midfield. And is that where you think the problem was coming from? Because yesterday at times, and we'll touch on Man City's too, because theirs went, went non-existent as well, especially for Liverpool's first goal. At times, that looked really open and it was too easy for the two City goals. Yeah, it's a funny one because I think there's a couple of small things that ultimately all got exploited yesterday. I think Here we go. Credit. No, I think he has his point here. I'm going to give credit to Pep Guardiola, who's someone who I don't give a huge amount of credit to very often, um, because I think he is one of those coaches who benefited from having the best player in the world. Um, but Johnny sent something to the group, so I'm trying to ignore because I'm trying to make my point. Um, so. It starts with Mane, right? And I think he scored yesterday, but I think the issues that we spoke about last week, he's kind of a big bowl of jelly in the middle of the field that slows everything down. Everything comes to his pace. And like, <laughs> when you look at Salah on the, other, or on the other side, and when you look at what Liverpool are like when he's on the ball, and, you know, the hairs in the back of your neck stand up when Salah touches the football. You're kind of resort yourself to a backwards pass or a sideways pass when Salah gets the ball or when Mane gets the ball. And I think uh-huh. those are kind of, that's, that's one issue. I think you're dead right. You've nailed the midfield issue. I think at the moment, it's just not a midfield that is used to playing together. I think Curtis Jones is maybe a little too enthusiastic to impress and is doing things that don't necessarily fit with the system. That 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 a cop is trying to play. What is Johnny doing? Sorry, I, I know nobody can see this, but he's sending about a million messages into the, <laughs> the Skype chat. Somebody tell him to stop before I punch him in the face. <laughs> um, and we're gonna get all those notifications now when they record, and it won't be my fault. Yeah. Um. So, th- so there's that, right? And then I think defensively yesterday, right? I have you know where I stand on Trent Alexander Arnold as a as a right back. I am taking all of that back now, having seen James Miller as his replacement. Um, <laughs> the problem was, on one side, on with Robertson, they were too quick and they were leaving spaces because they were so far forward, there was a space in behind Robertson. And on the other side, it was because Milner was so slow when he drifted towards the middle. 
then there's a huge amount of space outside him. Uh, you know, if he's if he was facing his own goal to his le- on his left shoulder, if he was facing away from goal on his right shoulder, the amount of times I looked up at the screen and one or two players were in like 50 square foot of space to the outside of James Milner in in the especially in the first half. Uh, early in the first half because Liverpool or Man City clearly decided that they were going to exploit a 35 year old footballer and rightly so but like I don't get the praise for Foden right because I honestly think you could put your average Irish league or league of Ireland footballer with the rest of that Steven. Man team, with the rest of that Man City team and with James Milner playing as badly as he played yesterday Not and they enough. would have looked like Maradona in that game. So I'm not going to give Froden any um any credit at all. I'm going to use his see on, Sorry? See on the on the, on the Mane point. Yeah. I saw a uh, a Liverpool fan, I think he's from he's from Dublin, can't remember his name, Paldies. Um mentioned Mane last week and he was saying uh peak Mane uh, a lot of Liverpool fans we're saying it was like the reincarnation of of John Barnes. John Barnes in his peak, which would have been just before my time, just before probably yours as well, Steve, to really to be honest, I remember what he was like. It, he was flying. That, that Liverpool team of, I think it was 87, 88, is regarded as actually one of the best Liverpool sides. But they weren't allowed to play in Europe due to uh, Heisel and what happened because of that. So they never got to play in, in, in Europe and possibly win or get close to winning a European Cup. So that they were winning leagues and the doubles and stuff. Uh, and he was amazing out on the wing. He was an unbelievable wide player. And that's what the Mane was for a while. And, and I saw that compared and saying, maybe now what you do is you turn Mane into your Ian Rush. Where he's just centrally... And because his run yesterday, people talk about the, the the Salah pass, which which was amazing. It was brilliant. But but Mane's run, like he like <laughs> Laporte and Diaz are just like, where did he go? Bang! He's he's through. He's gone. Looks up and he finishes it really really confidently. And I think there's something behind that that maybe because Liverpool seem to go with uh, Jada at the minute down the middle a lot. He seems to be the focal one down the middle, and and then Firmino came on, and, and he goes down the middle. But I think there could be something there where you do take Manny out of it, because then if you say if Manny is playing something backwards or sideways when he's central, then that is an option. That becomes an option then, mm-hmm. because then you have bodies around him. Whereas if it's just back down your option all the time, or it's just across to a midfielder all the time, it's not necessarily the same thing. Whereas if he's central and he's up front. I think that would be something that Liverpool should look at. Would you? What do you think about that? It's an interesting one. I never thought of him as that kind of player. My my first instinct was just to sell him. Um, <laughs> I saw it. it was lying too. And I was like, hang on, actually, that's yeah. A point. No, I, 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 yeah, I think that makes much more sense than what they're trying to do with him at the moment. Because at the moment, we, you know, when we did our brief, you know, US sports podcast, we touched upon the idea of. Coaches need to adapt their philosophy to the players they have, not adapt their players to the philosophy that they want. And you kind of see that with a lot of teams. The reason they fall down is that they don't have the players that fit the coach's philosophy and ultimately it's the coach that loses his job. I think one thing Klopp has been really good at his entire career is establishing a very clear identity for how he wants his football teams to play. And he's been very, very good 
and making sure he has the right players to play that system. Yeah. I think Mane is the first major exception to that, where he's trying to squeeze him into a system that doesn't suit him. But I think that that central role, that Ian Rush role, as and I think that's a perfect way of describing it. I think that's a really that's a compromise. That's the that's the that's the you don't have to go for the nuclear option of selling him because ultimately, you know, the buyers for Mane are are limited now with the way the Spanish league is, especially, I suppose. Um, so I think that, that, that solves some of the issues. I think, I think, I thought Jordan Henderson was poor enough from what I saw yeah. him yesterday. I thought yeah. it was one of his weaker games, but you don't get that very often. Jordan Henderson is normally, you know, he wouldn't be my favourite footballer, but I know what he brings to that Liverpool team and I know what he means to the Klopp system. And, you know, you won't get many performances as poor as yesterday was. I think, I think the fact that now, you know, the Milan game, you got the results, you know, and, but I still think there's a, there's a, it feels like there's a system there now to beat Liverpool and it is attacking the wings in the defence. Uh, for better or worse, whether that whether it works every time or not is a, is a different matter. And you won't have James Milner, you know. James Milner looked every day his thirty five years yesterday, and he won't have. He does. He's never. I, I've never seen him play that badly before for Liverpool. Um, and I even to the extent that I I turned. I was actually watching the match with my mum and dad, who I think I've said it before. Both absolutely huge Liverpool fans. Like I don't, know where, I don't know where they got me from. But like they, I was talking to my dad during that, and I was like, you know, I know Van Dyke is more comfortable on the left side of that central defence, but surely the easy thing to do yesterday is because <laughs> after five minutes we saw what Man City were going to do is just swap Matip and Virgil Van Dyke to give a little bit more security to Milner's side of the defence, and. No, centre half is a centre half. Like, you, yeah, you've got strong feet and you've got your preference. But I think overall the balance would have, I think they would have done more to contain Foden if they had just made that little swap as well. And I, again, I, I'm saying all this knowing that, like, you know, as a coach, it's really difficult in game to kind of go, shit, we have to fundamentally change what a player has done. But sometimes you have yeah. to do that. Sometimes you have to adapt and sometimes you have to ask players to go play out with their comfort zone. Because ultimately, as good as Foden looked yesterday, and I'm not saying he was good, I'm saying he looked good, I think Liverpool would probably count themselves unlucky having not won that game because it's a fluke goal that, you know, is the second equaliser or whatever. So I. And the Fabinho chance? Yeah, yeah. Like I think, you see, for, for you two to say that, I think is if I had to come out and said that it would have been here he is by Liverpool fan because all I've heard today and even this evening on Five Live is Man City should have won that game. Man City, how did they not win that game? And well, I think sorry, like, Man City were dominant for thirty-five minutes in the first half, right? And it was like you're watching it going, we need to get a foothold of this game. And, and Allison produced a really good save. From Foden, and this is going to sound very stupid, but you never really felt in 
mortal danger, so to speak, mm. that Man City were going to break the bank here and just bust a load of goals, and that was going to be the end of it for Liverpool. I know that sounds stupid. Do you know what I mean by that? You never. It was like yes, they're 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 here and they're attacking, but it was like you're watching a box that you know doesn't have a knockout punch. Do, do you know what I mean? Oh you, like you're, God, like, he's, he's doing well here, but he hasn't got the power. He hasn't got the power to beat this man. You literally, you know, it was weird. Exactly what ex- that is. Those are almost the exact words I said to my dad watching the first half. I said it's like watching two of the best boxers you've ever seen jab each other for six rounds. That's all it was. Yeah. It was there was nothing that looked like it was going to be a killer punch. So that's why when you know I was watching. The highlight show last night, and I was saying, oh, Man City were brilliant and, you know, deserved. And even Klopp after the game, I thought Klopp's answer after the game about, like, you know, where he tactically broke down what Manchester City did. I thought it was a phenomenal answer and an insight you, you rarely get from coaches because obviously they want to protect their system. They want to protect their thought processes or whatever. But when I, I was following it, like, kind of the, the punditry on Twitter and even on radio or whatever, and the people were going, Man City, Man City, Man City, and I thought, if I was a Liverpool fan, I'd be much more disappointed with that result than a Man City fan. Like, I really would, because the first half wasn't... It was by no means a stellar performance by Man City. I thought both teams were poor. Now, having said that, the second 45 minutes, as Brendan said earlier on in, in the intro to this section, that was the best half of football I've seen in the, the league this year. Um, I thought it was two teams absolutely going for it. Whereas the first half felt very much like two, and I know I go on about this, and people are probably sick of hearing me talk about it. First half was two teams trying not to lose. Second half was two teams trying to win. And that is the difference between exciting football and boring football. And that's all it comes down to every time, is if you try to win more often than not, you'll get the three points than if you try not to lose. And I want to ask you both. The, the Sorry, Brian. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. I just I was going to say touching on the the Man City. Um, I thought a draw was a fair result. I don't think either team could be disappointed or delighted. I think it was one of those ones, and I think you heard you kind of heard that in being reflected in in both managers after the game. Um, but I think it's an interesting point that you make on you never really. I think. You're never overly threatened by Man City like you would have been in the past, like you would have been in previous seasons. And I think that is an issue. It hasn't been spoken about that I've heard uh, since the game, but I thought Grealish was poor. I think he's been poor um, in the majority um, this season. Um, I think Pep tried to play him through the middle and it didn't really work. Um, they're they're searching for you know I think he's realised that Jesus isn't really that Aguero replacement that um he kind of assume well everyone assumed he would be um I think you know City haven't really been been scoring goals they didn't score against PSG obviously and they had chances I mean they had chances um they just scored one against Chelsea drew nil nil with Southampton um. You know these results that you want only scored one against Leicester, um, and I know they've had a couple of big results in there. But I mean, it's when teams are given up. I think that they're like, for example, Arsenal obviously got Jack sent off and then completely give up the ghost. I think even Jerry would say that. Um, but it's it's these games where teams stick in. They maybe have a low block. We would have seen Man City break it down 
Um, and when they had chances in previous seasons, they would have scored. They're not scoring every chance that they get now, which we're used to seeing from Man City. And I think that's a problem um, for Pep. And I think that is why you may see um, a certain Mr. Keane um, be, be spoken about in January again. Yeah, I if they want to win uh, the Champions League, certainly they uh, without they'll not do their number nine. They like they'll come unstuck. They'll uh, as I say, I, I, we've all pointed out like they, they don't. There isn't that threat there that that once was there with Man City, and and that is their very visible uh, weakness, so to speak. I wanted to ask both of you this question. Um, we talked about it in the WhatsApp group earlier before. Breton brought WhatsApp, Instagram, and Facebook down. Um, is the Man City and Liverpool game now the best game in the Premier League? Stephen, you can go first. I mean, from an enjoyment point of view, Manchester United Leeds is the best game in the Premier League because that's because you thump them five or six one every time. Uh, <laughs> but I think from a neutral point of view, I think it is. I think it's a point with TV. I saw Ken Early in the Irish Times today. I think he called it the new Classico. I think it is. I think it's yeah. because the Classico has been so devalued now, and you know, I think you could add, you make an argument that the Milan Derby is still like appointment TV or whatever as well, especially with you know. Milan's improvement over the last few years that was very much one-sided for a few years as well but I think it's weird because it, it like it's neutral it's neutral appointment TV but I think if you were to ask any Manchester City fan they'd say their biggest game is United and if you were to ask any Liverpool fan and they'd say their biggest game is probably United as well I would imagine or Everton so it like for the fans of both those clubs I don't think it's the biggest game but I think for Everyone else, I think it's up there. Having said that, I'm fascinated by Chelsea versus both of those teams as well. Um, because I think the styles and the level are different. Yeah, but, and, but it's the level of coaching that goes into those games as well that makes them really, from a, like a purely like tactical point of view, from a, a football, like purist, I suppose, point of view, they're fascinating to watch as well. So I think there's a number of big games and I think, you know, for the crack, the North London Derby as well. But I think <laughs> they are literally like people scrapping over the popcorn that's falling on the floor of the cinema, really. Like, you know, but that's <laughs> it. <interesting. laughs> oh, Johnny, Johnny is going to enjoy that on Thursday night. Uh, Breton, <laughs> is it, is it for you? Is it as a neutral Liverpool v Man City? Is it the best game to watch in the league? Yeah, I think I said earlier on. You know, if if you're not watching your own team, what game would you want to watch in the Premier League? And I think that's it for me. Um, I, I just think they're the two best teams. Um, and that doesn't always get you um an entertaining game. But like Steve said, the um I, I think a lot of it has to do with the the men in charge. Um, you know, what they will do in each individual fixture to to try and um, outwit the other. Um, and I think you, you do see that as well. We saw, we saw it last year with, with Chelsea um, and Man City particularly. Um, you know, what, what Tuchel did in, you know, three the three separate games that um, 
they played Man City towards the second half of the season. Um, it's really interesting, and I can imagine, obviously, it being interesting for the neutral that one as well. But um, I think because both of these two teams are fundamentally attacking teams, um, and although we didn't see that from Liverpool in the first half yesterday, um, when when we saw it in the second half from um, from Liverpool as well as Man City. Um, you can see what it produces, and um, it's it's fantastic to watch. So the, the the second half absolutely flew by. I think it was eighty three, eighty five minutes, and I could not believe that that amount of time had gone by. Um, so yeah, that for me, it's it's Liverpool Man City at the minute, without a shadow of a doubt. And I think you can extend that right across right across Europe too. Um, the, the points they've made about. About Spanish football, I mean, they're they're dwindling away before our very eyes. Those those two giants, anyway, and our traditional giants in, in Spanish football. So, um, I think the the Premier League is even more so, very much a, a leading light in European football at the minute, and, and those two teams are at the at the pinnacle of it. I think uh, without involving. Liverpool, I love the North London derby because it it is just utter chaos. Plus, Johnny adds to it, yeah. Um, because you want to see Tottenham win, so he's just <laughs> comedy gold then on a podcast. Um, but I, I really, I, 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 I've said this so many times. I hate, I hate Liverpool v Manchester United games. I hate the build up to them. I just hate the whole notion of potentially losing that game. It's horrendous. Um. The derby against Everton, when, since I've moved to li- and lived in Liverpool for a few years, obviously at university, getting to understand the seriousness of it and how the city rocks and flows within it's all in its class. But, but this rivalry, well, not always. Now the beats last year, but this rivalry um, with Man City that has developed through Pep and and Klopp, just it, there's something about this game, just like. You know, I was feral in the WhatsApp group yesterday. <laughs> I was just like, I was, and I wanted to be at Anfield, just roaring and snarling and going nuts. Um, yesterday, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just that game. You just, just want to get into it, and and even like afterwards, uh, Barney Rooney was talking about it in his piece in the Guardian today. Like afterwards, when when the game was over and players were walking off, fans had obviously sung and some blah blah blah, and then both sets of fans started applauding. You know, because then you hang on. We've watched a decent game here in the end against two teams. So, yeah, I, I do love it. Like, but it, it's just interesting how it has moved. It's not not it's certainly like it, the rivalry has come because obviously Man City have now got certain owners and and they've been able to buy certain players and blah blah blah, blah whatever. But I I do enjoy it. I do enjoy those games as well. They always seem to they always seem to be exciting or involve something. There's been one or two where. Uh, Liverpool got Mane sent off one year at the Etihad and then they, they chipped in three or four and the year they'd won the league they turned up to the Etihad and, and City were very good that day and, and beat them comfortably so there's been those moments that Liverpool have done the same thing in the Champions League games and turned up and put them out and whatever so it, there's always something comes from those games so and even you saw yesterday how Pep was reacting and how Klopp was reacting and then how Pep celebrated in front of Klopp when it went to all and yeah it was great like so long may that Continue. Um, we, we've talked a lot about 
teams in in in, in the north of England, but I, there's a team in London who's top of the league, and it would be very unfair if we didn't give you a chance to mention them. Uh, Brenton, a win, a, a Werner goal, like what? Yes, sir. Um, and a player sent off for Southampton. Sam pegged back through a penalty. There's a lot going on on Saturday afternoon at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, it had um, it, it, it kind of had everything that game. Um, I think ultimately Chelsea deserved it. I think um, was the was the overwhelming feeling. Um, I think you know Tuchel made five changes and they worked. Um, I think he he left out Jorginho, which was was a big deal. Um, brought lost cheek in. Um, I, I didn't say the ninety minutes because it was a three o'clock game. Um, so. You know those guys that came in: Chalaba, Loftus Cheek, um, Werner, Hudson Odoi, and Chilwell. All apparently had very good games. Um, Werner had the ball in the net twice. I think. Um, I don't know whether I put it into the group or not, but it's his sixteenth um, goal for Chelsea that has been ruled out by VAR, which is Jeez. absolutely <laughs> unbelievable. Um, Team so, VAR. Yeah, yeah, he's um. He's had no luck, and uh, you know I think since he's since Lukaku's come in, people thought the pressure would come off him a wee bit, and I think that has actually happened. Um, I think he can play with Lukaku. Um, Havertz and Ziyech are, are not on form, um, so he he's he's slotted into that role really well, um, and he got his well deserved goal, um, and that was important for. For him to get his confidence up, going at, you know instead of dwelling on that another disallowed goal going into a two week international break, Ben Chilwell the same, um, and you know Mason Mount came off the bench and and did make a difference, which you know he'd had a couple of difficult games, um, before he was injured too. So, um, yeah, it was it was really important that that Chelsea won that game, obviously because you don't want to be, um, dwelling on a. A defeat or drop points um, against Southampton at home, who haven't won a game all season, obviously, um, but also because they're coming off the back of two defeats, and it just so happened that they're now top of the league. So, I think that the the mood will be a lot better, um, especially if you look back now. It's sort of obviously with the international break, it's a time to check um, to look back a wee bit on on the start of the season and. and See where you've been, and and Chelsea had, you know, they've played obviously Liverpool away from home, uh, Tottenham away from home, Arsenal away from home, and Arsenal at the time maybe wasn't a difficult fixture, but Arsenal had a bit of form, and I wouldn't want to be playing them now at the Emirates, so it's good to get that out of the way and get a three points there. So, um, and obviously you know they've they've played Man City as well, but they've had, for example, a, a lot more. Um, tests than than the likes of United would have had. So to to come through those games and still be at the top top of the table um, with you know easier games on paper, uh, you know I'll emphasise on paper because the next game is Brentford away, um, who are one of the most informed teams in the league. But <laughs> you know after that they've got Norwich, um, Newcastle, Burnley, um, you know so you would think that they will continue. Um, picking up points when maybe some of the other teams will will face a few 
more tricky fixtures. I'm thinking about United again because I, I was looking at their fixtures. Um, so yeah, all rosy. Um, but I think that was the, the result was very important. But the performance as well um, was gritty, and the players that were involved. And shout out to Ross Barkley as well. What a pass that was for for Werner's goal. It's it's good to see Barkley back, I suppose, and um, it's weird to see him back. Yeah, it's very weird. Good, I would say. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just it's it's I meant good for him personally, sorry. Um, but it's weird to see, like I said, to your dad, Brett, and obviously uh, is Chelsea mad too. And I said to him on Saturday, like that the Chelsea team that finished against Juventus, you're like, how did this team become European champions? And it's not to be harsh, but like you, Ruben lost his cheek and Barkley, and then uh, Calvin's Doy playing wing back and. You're looking at it going, uh, no Jorginho, no Kante, Kovacic running around, God love him, trying to ring. You're just thinking, what, what, is going, what is going on here with this Chelsea side? And as you said, players aren't in form just yet, but you, a good, good point you point on there, you've had really tough away games and you're top of the league. Yeah. You know, it's, it's um, a great, it is a great sign. You're, you're, you're right slap bang in the mix of it. Like you're the team everyone's chasing now. Yeah. And it shows like the, the strength in that could be a big thing because if it's all well and good saying oh it's all have strength and depth, but your your depth players, as it were, need to act something about them. And mm. for for the likes of, of Loftus Cheek to be hitting for him and, and Chalaba, um, you know, who's who's basically coming in there and replacing Reese James because Aspilaquata just pushed further forward, um to to you know, to get on the score sheet from from right centre back, um, and to put in a solid performance, and um, Hudson Odoi to actually be trusted to play in a front three, which is for the first time under Tugel, I think, um, in a league game, um, and to put in a performance like that for for Chilwell to get his confidence back up after Alonso being in the team for so long, and and you know those two battling it out, um, good good signs, and you know long may continue. We. We'll finish up briefly on this tonight because we've, we've spoken for the not this hour's flown in. Um, just as I see, sorry there, Mike Phelan's got a new deal. Like, well, Steve, sorry, I didn't know that. It was <laughs> show, and it's too late now for you to get into it. Um, I apologise. I love hearing <laughs> in the background, by the way. Fucking hell, it was Steve's lovely Kildare accent when something <laughs> goes wrong. I absolutely love hearing that. Um, Watford. What the fuck, Ford? They're an absolute basket case. 13 managers since the new owners have come in, I think that's 2012, maybe. 13 different managers. They got rid of Munoz, Isco. He's gone, 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 gone. Boom, roasted. And they've brought in Claudio and Yuri. Brenton, you can go in, go jump in and in, Steve. I know you'll have something to say on management. What? What or what? What? Watford would be a good Netflix show. Damn right it would. Um, and also, Ranieri would be a good Netflix show as well. Because yeah. if, if anything, you know, they suit each other because they've gone through a sheer, like Watford have gone through a sheer amount of managers and, and that, that man has gone through a sheer amount of clubs as well. Like, um, But, and I know you can, you can appoint Ranieri and you can say, Premier League winner with Leicester and 
you know, big up that side of him. It's not going to happen again. Like, it's like Leicester were in a much better position than Watford are now. And the, the comparison that you would make with Watford is more along the lines of, um, Fulham, Ranieri at Fulham. I mean, um, you know, I don't think he has. I don't think he has the the core of a team that he had at the likes of Leicester. Um, I don't think there's there's enough kind of talent to lean on. Um, and I honestly can't see him lasting the full season with Watford. Um, Mostly because of the the type of owner that they they have there, you know, it's up there with one of the last appointments that I would have made um, at Watford. To be honest, I didn't see it coming at all. Um, they they will feel like they they needed to do something because um, they've had a a horrible start to the season. But um, I feel like they could have they could have maybe, and I don't know. Like who am I to say what what the replacement should have been? But um, and maybe Claudio will go and prove me wrong. But um, I really I don't see the sense in that one. It seems like it was very um, it was a very quick decision and maybe not thought about that much. Um, I don't think I mean, any of the decisions are thought about. I think your, the manager like just go, or the, yeah. the the owner I can't remember his name. He just goes that. Bucket, you've lost the game, have you? Bang! See you later, bye. And just yeah, because it's like it's not like I mean, if anyone knows, should be looking for a new manager because yeah. you know he seems like, bottom, it, like it's absolutely nuts. He, he if I was performing as bad as he was in my job, and and I just work in with sales lads, I would be absolutely hoofed out the door. Daniel Farke can just stroll around at the bottom of the league, nowhere near winning any games, and they're just like ah. Oh, no, you know, Daniel's actually really sound. We'll just, we'll just keep him here, whatever. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a think piece we wrote on Daniel Farker and, and all of the nudes he clearly has on everyone at Norwich because it's it's absolutely insane how, like, this is just, this is Groundhog Day. We're not even talking about Norwich on the highest pod, but this is just Norwich from a year, two years ago. They've just come back up and they're doing the same thing. I think, I think there's a, a decent Norwich. I, sorry, Brendan. I think a decent Norwich, you can see what they're doing. They know it's the parachute payment and they make their money then in the championship and they come back up and they get their parachute payment. Norwich are happy being a team that yo-yos. I don't know what, what one Wofford like think they are or want to be. It's just having a quick look there. Who can tell me the last time a Wofford manager managed more than 100 games? Um, right. Was it was it pre then was it is this with the new owners or just before this? Oh no, it's pre well pre pre. Sir. It's not like Graham Taylor, is it? It's very nearly Graham Taylor. <laughs> uh wow. Graham Taylor managed two hundred and two when he finished up in two thousand and one. So Ray Lewington got hundred and fifty games and AD Bootroyd got hundred and seventy six games in charge. He finished up in November two thousand and eight. That was the last time a manager of Watford lasted 100 games. <laughs> That's just incredible. It's absolutely, <laughs> absolutely insane. Yeah, to be fair, Malky McKay got to 99 in 2011, but it's still oh. 10 years ago. That's still 10 years ago. Like the most, 
the most um, no only one manager has lasted 50 games and that was Javi Garcia between January 2018 and September 2019 um, and they obviously got the, the was it the final of the FA Cup in 2019 yeah, 2019? yeah. Um, yeah. but like they are like they're an absolute joke of a club like someone I saw like he, Ranieri signed a two year deal but like you know is he going to last no the season I don't <laughs> think he does I honestly don't think he does. He should have just signed a rolling contract. This is going to roll every week. All right. I did um, see someone say, it. though, that uh, Marcel or Bielsa will be the happiest manager in the league because when he was the oldest manager in the league, his win percentage is 14%. But now that he's not, his win percentage is 47%. So these are suddenly <laughs> going to get good now that he's not the oldest manager in the league. So. Yeah, I, I, I should like Chelsea. Sorry, can I say that Chelsea gave Tuchel an 18-month contract when he first signed? Yeah, and Watford well, have given Ranieri two years? Yeah. <laughs> and he won the Champions League? <laughs> if I was Ranieri, I would have in my contract, it's like, you know, uh, you're guaranteed this. You know, and I'd just go, right, no bother. Sign it, and then literally put the under-11s out on the first game. Obviously, it's against Liverpool, so I'm being... I'm partially passed here. <laughs> Put the under 11 side, get absolutely thumped, and then just walk out. Right? Good luck. Bye. Best, mo- best money you ever make. It's, uh, it's just insane. Derek, I know we're we're trying to finish up because it's been a lot of podcasts, but we skipped, we buried the lead tonight. We buried the lead. Um, joint man of the matches. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had it saved. I had it saved. Don't worry, I was going to just fire at the end. Right. Which I have done. I haven't stopped thinking about it since it happened. Go on ahead. You it's take over. Ma- the, like, the clue is in the name. It's man of the match. It, and it's player of the match. It is not plural. It is a singular term. And it is your job, your one job as a co-commander to pick that player. Now, I've seen a giant man of the match before, and I've seen it from Manchester United when two players on United yeah. got a man of the match. One of them scored a hat-trick. How the hell did someone, get, <laughs> did someone else get a, man, a giant man of the match with them? What did Rude Van Nistelrooy have to do, you know, to get man of the match? Like, you know, so that was a 4-1. It was over Charlton, I think, in 2003, and Van Nistelrooy got a hat-trick, and Roy Keane got giant man of the match as well. Um, no, the Roy Keane fan in me obviously was delighted, but uh, I, I just think it's it's I I would be I would not lose a second sleep if we got rid of player of the match and man of the match in the morning. It's such a stupid. Concept. It's trash. Yeah, it is. It's, it's absolute nonsense because like there's like first of all there's so much stuff that goes on off the ball that we don't see on a football screen and the mm. nine times out of ten the co-commentator isn't watching the match live they're watching it on a screen just like us because their job is to describe the action that we're seeing so it makes sense that they're watching it on a screen as well even if they're in the stadium they're watching it on a screen so they're seeing the same thing as us. so they're not seeing the runs off the ball they're not seeing the cheeky little tug from the defender to slow down the run in behind them or whatever like and like if I we're Sorry, 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 sorry. Go on ahead. No, you're grand, you're grand. Like, the, but like, I think it's one of those things. Like, it, certainly in in American football, like it would be the quarterback every single game would get man of the match. And I think in football, it's going to be it should be the goalkeeper, because especially if the goalkeeper keeps the clean sheet, they should be automatically man of the match in every game. 
Because like you can't win a game, or sorry, you should win every game in which you don't concede a goal. Like you know, so it's just start there. And then when you get into nonsense like that, then you start going, okay, well, like how how are we judging this? Is it just the player who appeared on camera the most, whose name I said the most? Because Foden was was fine yesterday. <laughs> Mo Salah's the best player in the world. He scored one of the best goals I've ever seen in the Premier League. Phil Foden ran up against a pensioner and played well for 35 <laughs> minutes. Like, I don't know how those two things are the same thing. I just don't understand it at all. I think a lot of a lot of that from yesterday was uh, honestly I know we do say this, but a lot of it was because he's England English and he he's like the new up and coming thing in England and it was Gary Neville giving it um and I I was gonna say there I wouldn't mind a player of the match if it was somehow voted for by the fans in the stadium. Instead of the co-commentator, um, who is obviously going to have a bias. And I know usually you get, uh, a player of the match voted or voted by the, I don't know, the club TV or whatever it is. But I also think that would produce some really funny player of the matches as well. Um, (laughs) which is an opportunity. And if you're going to do it, like why not, you know, do it as entertaining as you can? Like if, you know, if, if somebody, Scores a couple of own goals. Like if everyone votes him as as player of the match, like you know, it's it's pure comedy. Um, I, I just don't think it, it adds a lot to the to the viewing public. Um, if Gary Neville's going to be or Robbie Savage or some clown is going to be picking the man of the match all the time, um, because a lot of the time I find myself disagreeing. I, I actually thought they were, I thought they were taking the piss with that, and maybe they were initially. Taking and pissed with that joint man of the match thing, but then when they actually produced the graphic that had joint man of the match on underneath it, um, I, I couldn't believe it. It was mostly because it was so clearly Salah. Yeah, but I think it all um, came from did Neville make at one stage make a point that oh, it would be great to have the two of them interviewed together? And I think it all yeah. came from he, uh, someone could have scored a hat trick in the last 10 minutes and he still would have done the same thing because they'd obviously arranged that this would be great TV, you know. Um, and that was never going to happen either. Like. No, exactly. Yeah. Um, nor should it. Like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you really yeah. shouldn't. Like, I'm. Yeah. I, I, like, I, I would. I, if if we're not doing away with man of the match, I would absolutely buy into the crowd picking it. Like, your little buzzer in your seat, and you pick the number or whatever. Yeah. Absolutely here for the carnage that that would cause. <laughs> oh my! The rise that would cause. I would just organize <laughs> everyone to vote for a substitute. Like uh, yeah, <laughs> on an unused substitute wins man of the match. Yeah, um, I we we will touch on this because it's international break, so we'll have obviously the, the Thursday night babble where myself and and the mud will uh, will talk, but then next Monday night will be probably will do like a look back on how like a midterm report type chaos thing. So what I would do away with because we're talking about man of matches, I do away with being able to hear commentators. And co-commentators. Now, bearing in mind, I might actually do some of that this season for a certain uh, media organisation. So I'm sort of doing away with myself. But I, the TV companies need to provide us, and we'll talk about this on the next podcast, uh, with an option to turn these fuckers 
off because I'm going to end up putting my foot through a TV soon and I don't want to put my foot through a TV. It's not good behaviour to show my little son his dad mm-hmm. volleying the TV out through the front window because he doesn't agree with what a certain co-commentator or commentator is trying to constantly hint at. So I think with all the power that all these TV companies have, they surely can produce a button where you can just click off commentary. I think Amazon Prime would give you that option sometimes. Click off commentary and then you can just hear the the crowd noise and potentially what's going on in the ground rather than listening to the people give opinions that let's be honest we really don't want to hear we don't want to hear like we don't like we've said in this podcast beforehand we all actually would listen to what maybe journalists would say more and what what pundits so to speak would say yeah it would um it was also great when you could on BBC, you could tune into the radio commentary um, for the Euros yeah. instead of the, yeah. the football or the TV commentary. That was a great option. And if there was some sort of combination you could get, I I like having commentary, but I don't want it to be horse shit. Um, so I just want to learn. You know what's you bad know. when Brendan starts cursing? That's when you know it's just getting real. Like when he starts cursing on the podcast, you know something serious is happening. There's so much of colour commentary is just bland and cliche and I like Neville and Carragher started off with a really good reputation, they set a really high bar. But they've just Two reverted balloons. But they've just reverted to type, that's all. Like they have yeah. absolutely just reverted to type uh, of every colour commentary that ever exists. And they're either doing they're either like the idea of a co commentator cheering a goal, like it just doesn't sit right with me. Why, what they should be there for is to teach you, like, you know, tell me about the low block. Tell me why a team is applying it. Tell me why it works. Tell me how you beat it. That's what I want from a so-called expert um, in a game. And you don't get any of that. Like, we get all that from Twitter. We get all that from, you know, various different podcasts and websites that we, we, we watch or read and listen to. You never get that on TV. TV is for the lowest common denominator, and it's just painful to watch sometimes. Like, I often, like, I would have been very much pro-commentary, but I often now just have the game on in the background with no sound on. Um, because what am I, I'm not learning anything from it. I'm not getting anything from it. Like, if I walk out with a room, I'll turn it on just so I'll hear what's happening. But, yeah, mm-hmm. you're right, Brendan. Like, that idea of being able to choose your commentary, choose the radio commentary, and, like, obviously... It has to be synced up and things like that for it to re- to be an enjoyable experience. But some nine times better than listening to Martin Tyler and Gary Neville, I think. I I think Stephen, where maybe uh, Tony Romo has possibly Tony Romo, Brenton, I know you wouldn't be a huge fan of NFL. Tony Romo, obviously ex quarterback, and now he's gone into uh, co he's a co commentator. And Brenton, and, and listening at home, maybe don't pay attention to it. He tells you what's going to happen before the play starts. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't yeah. he, Stephen? Like he yeah, just, yeah. he is absolutely wild. Like he, and he looks at a quarterback from a team he's never been on. He's never seen the coach's manual, and he says, "Ah, oh, I can see the formation is what's going to happen next." Blah, 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 and next thing it played out in front of your eyes. It is, it is one of the best things in sport, hands down. Goals being scored, touchdowns thrown, uh, baskets, whatever, home runs, sixes in cricket, hole in ones, 
Tony Romo's commentary, it's up there. It is one of the best things in sport because you can just sit and you're just like, oh my God, he is literally walking me through a play here. It is it is absolutely ridiculous. Do you know what he did that um, in the Euros? Um, Ali McCoist. I, I love listening to Ali yeah. McCoist during the Euros. And him uh, him with Clive Tilsley, I thought was brilliant. Um, Clive Tilsley, I think, is the, the best commentator I've ever heard personally um but they're um them two together i, I thought was brilliant and ali mccoy actually did i don't know if everyone agreed with this he did offer um some sort of an expert opinion and um he you know he put himself when he could he put himself in the player's footsteps why did he hit it with the inside of his foot there you know, because he couldn't reach it round with the outside of his foot, all that sort of stuff. The details, um, when you're um, when you're looking back on a on a replay as well, um, I, I thought he was brilliant for that, and also entertaining too. The two of them together, um, I think Emma Haynes was similar, like obviously not in a commentary yeah. role, but in a punditry role. That kind of like telling you why something happened rather than that it happened. I saw it happen. You don't need to tell me that it happened. Tell me why yeah. it happened. Tell me what. Yeah. Could have gotten it. So, yeah. yeah. I think there, there's definitely good, there's definitely potential for good commentators out there. But so much of, so many of them know that they can get by on coasting. Um, that why would they try any harder? Well, this, we, we, we've gone on a long, a long enough on, on Monday night's podcast. We will, We'll look back, or maybe we'll come up with a few things that we'd all change in our midterm report um, on Monday night. Stephen and Brent, thanks. Obviously, tonight has been brilliant. Um, I think I think we're friends again now, Stephen, aren't we? We were never not friends. It was just a brotherly quarrel. Oh, it was just me. It wasn't friends with you. All right, okay, cool. Yeah, no yeah, yeah. That's usually <laughs> what happens. Um, <laughs> thanks everyone for listening. Catch. Um, all of our podcasts uh, on any podcast app I keep promoting it I use Spotify it's, it's very handy and easy um, get uh, all of our social media stuff across social media on uh, Twitter and Instagram especially when they're up and running and get all, uh, tune into our Patreon if you can £1 a month that's £12 a year it's nothing helps us produce more content helps us get better Brendan what's the Patreon link? Patreon.com forward slash football babble. Boom. And can I just note as well, folks, halfway through uh, Stephen talking about commentating there, my wife snuck into the room I'm in and didn't tell me. And only I hit the mute button, you would have heard me have an outer body experience. <laughs> Literally, I was shaking. Like, like that my eye, my pupils in my eye are narrow now. It is, it is horrendous. I cannot believe she'd done that. And it could have been so, so badly wrong for this podcast. But thankfully, uh, it wasn't. But, folks, thanks for listening. Hope you really enjoyed the show. Let us know what you think uh, about what went on at the weekend, what we talked about in tonight's podcast. What do you think about Man of the Match Awards? Do you think it should be binned? What do you think about commentary? Is there anything else you think that regards in football that you would hoof out that we can be talking to, talk about on Monday night's podcast coming up? As well, me and Johnny will be back for Thursday night babble and some randomness and, and mentalness on that there. God knows where he's going to take the Thursday night this week. He always sends me a list through of about 20 topics. The man's a maniac. Um, so tune in for that. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the international break and we'll all see you again on Monday night. Good luck. Ollie out.